Good morning, lucky listener. You have found NH Unscripted, where the arts come to chat. I am your host, Ray Dudley, and we are coming to you live, uh, maybe not so much, from the not overly ostentatious studios at WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. And you lucky listeners in Manchester get to find us on 101.9 FM. And yeah, we're on the interwebs. You can find us at nhtalkradio.com. Don't go out there yet. Do that in your off time. This morning, I have in the studios with me a very talented and diverse actor. (laughs) Alex Picard has accepted my invitation. Good morning, Alex. (laughs) Good morning, Ray. (laughs) This, for me, is going to be an epic interview. Um, No pressure. There There is so much in your background, um, and there's so much that... uh, I saw you in Scene Changes, and um, I I read your bio, and I'm like, wait, how have I not... How have our paths not crossed? What what is going on? (laughs) Have I fallen through some wormhole? And so ever since then, I wanted to, to get with you, and I asked you back then if you would be kind enough, and you said yes. So Of course. Um, you'll endure this, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So there are multiple topics I want to talk to you about. Um, and the first one, I just want to get it out of the way, is I want to say thank you for doing Virginia Woolf. Oh. Um, my Thank understanding you. is you produced it. I did. Okay. I and did. you starred in it. I did. You did. <laughs> Can you give me a little bit, and I mean that sincerely, thank you, because it's so wonderful that somebody has the guts to pick up a classic and do it. Mm-hmm. And I know that, look, let's get this right out of the way. The play was raw. It was dark. It was visceral. It was hammering each other for what, three hours, something like yeah. that? Yeah. Just shy of three yeah. hours. It yeah. was a Texas death match <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in the Hatbox Theater. Yep. So can you tell me a little bit about how that came about and what it was sure. like to produce the show, first of all, and then we'll get into what it was like working with Wayne and all sure. of the other. Sure, 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 sure. Um, that's been in the works since I was 19 years old. 19? Uh, 19. I read last should, year. Yeah, just last no year. No kidding. Just last year. Well, that's remarkable. <laughs> oh, you're my favorite. <laughs> um, so uh, when I was 19 years old, I uh, was a student at New England College um, in Hanneker, and I took a play analysis course, um, and I was introduced to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, I was also in that class really introduced to how to really read a play. Mm. You know, in a way that. You are mining for truth and authenticity and the most um, honest way to put a play on its feet. So uh, I remember reading that play. I had to, there was an assignment attached to it. You had to write an essay, um, you know, about the play, you know, on a specific topic and and all of that. And in the paper, which I still have, <laughs> I wrote that someday I would play Martha. Um, that I was determined and and. I have been waiting. You know, this is one good thing to look forward to getting into your mid forties about is when you're Don't like, Don't go there. Don't go the ageism. <laughs> I'm feeling old enough. It. I know. Um, so I have just been waiting. You know, um, and it's a hard play 
to do and produce and 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 you don't find it a lot um you sometimes if you find it you don't find it done as well as you wish for um so you know i'd been talking with andrew at the hat box um uh, about maybe producing something and and the next step came when gary Locke put me into a production of holmes and watson um i think it was 2021 that we did that and I didn't know anybody. Um, you say I fell in you. I was in the wormhole. I've just come out. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> so I came out of the wormhole and I did Holmes and Watson and... Um, that's where I met this incredible group of men. I was the only woman in the show. I was a really, um, if you're going to be the only woman in a show, that group of men is the one to do it with. Um, and they were all lovely. And I met Wayne, um, in that production and he was, uh, playing a part there and we didn't have a lot of stuff together, just little things in that particular production. But I remember watching him and thinking, there's my George. Mm -hmm. Um, because if I was ever going to do Martha, I knew I needed a George that could match me and grapple with me and spar with me. And I just had this feeling about him, you know, um, watching him work and kind of watching his process and the seriousness with which he approached the work, but the uh, joy with which he approached the room. Um, I thought to myself, this maybe this is it. So one night I was just, you know, softballing and I was like, do you know the play? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> what do you think about that play? Because it's not for everybody, right? And he goes, oh, he said, oh, man, I've always wanted to play George. And I went, really? <laughs> well, I've always wanted to play Martha. So the stars are aligning. And there, the stars curious. were aligning. And and Gary was directing. And, you know, we I brought it up, you know, a couple times. And we chatted a couple times about it. Just, you know, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't it be great? And one night, Gary said, if you pitch it and produce it, I'll direct it. And Meredith Hanston, now Campania, was in the booth and she said, I'll stage manage that. And I went, star, star, star. Okay, aligning. right. Like my, it all kind of started to come together in my head. Um, and at the time, I was also that, uh, also in that show was um, Brett Reese, Brett and Reese, who played Nick. And I did not know this at the time, but at the time, I guess he was quietly in his head going, I could play Nick. <laughs> I just found that out recently. Oh, um, But in, in my mind, really, what I had to get in place first was a George, right? Like that was the most important thing. And then if I could get that in a director and a good stage manager, which I just had people volunteer for, then maybe I could make this work. So I decided to pitch and and producing at the Hatbox is a dream. Um, there's no more supportive person of the arts in this area than Andrew yeah. Pinard. Um, he's a gift. Um, I am so grateful to him um, for what he provides the theater community and how he supports it. Um, he made it easy. Gary did too. Gary's produced quite a bit before at the Hatbox. So if I had questions, I went to Gary. Um, and when you get the right team, you know, I had Greg Parker on set um, and and Brett agreed to do lights as well as play Nick. Like, you've got the right team. It's easy peasy. Yeah. You know, you, you just, I mean, they did the work and I just went, all right, I'll just pay y'all when it's done. <laughs> like, it was just uh, the right group of people. So. Wait, wait, wait. You said if they do the work. Yeah. I saw the play. <laughs> the work okay, was happening in the boxing ring on stage. Yeah. That was, that was some work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it all sort of, you know, it started to fall together. And then we asked Brett to play Nick and. Um, and do the lights. And he said yes. And the last person to come on board was Emily Carell and, um, as Honey. And I count myself 
to this minute where I just finished texting her before walking in here that I am so grateful that she said yes. Mm. Um, because not only did I find a, a phenomenal actor to work with, another phenomenal actor to work with, but a friend, um, which is so important, you mm. know. Um, and all of them have just become friends and companions. I mean, when you go through something like Virginia Woolf, and yeah. that rehearsal process and all of that, it's really... You bond in a very different way. I mean, we had a table read, and that table read, I mean, I finished that, we finished that table read, and we all just kind of stared at each other. So I heard. And I was like, we could have sold tickets to that. It was it was stunning from the get-go. Alex, 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 where do I begin here? <laughs> you have fed me. This is a buffet. <laughs> okay, first of all, why, Virginia Woolf? What is it about the play that attracted you? Okay, so hear me out on okay, this one because okay. I've had people kind of raise an eyebrow on this okay. one. I think Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the greatest love story ever told. Greatest. Yes. Have you seen Love Story the movie? <laughs> yeah, it was okay. all, right. All, right. all right. I really do because I I believe that relationships are difficult. They are hard. They require work. Um, an effort. And a lot of times in the theater, you see love stories that aren't that, you know, or maybe they do. They've got that third act breakup or, you know, that. Do we have different <laughs> definitions here of love story? Because you came off the ropes several times and just slammed him. Yeah, but at the end of the day, like, I believe that George and Martha will stay together. I don't have any faith in Honey and Nick staying together. Wow. You know, yeah. I think they'll be together. They, they, you have to, to fight in the way that they fight. You've got to have love. I agree with you. And, and there was and a bond there. There was, there was a bond a, an there. Incredible and, bond. And and all Martha wants, like he, there's a line where he's, you know, he's just ignoring her, and they can't, they can't ever come together. It's like there's two different scenes in particular where they try to come together and they can't manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's one line in particular that Martha says, pay attention to me. It's all she wants. She's looking for a reason, looking for him to say, okay, I'll pay attention to you. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> I, we have the dancing feet music. <laughs> Hang on to that thought. We okay. are going to mine this thing. Dang it. We get so much to get through. <laughs> you are listening to. Faster. All right. Thank you. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. You can find us on 1450 AM and 103 FM in Concord. 103.9 FM in Concord. Let me put on my old man glasses here for a second. And 101.9 FM in Manchester. And at nhtalkradio.com. We will be back with this deep discussion. Welcome back. I am Ray Dudley, your host of NH Unscripted. We are broadcasting from WKXL 1450 AM and 103.9 FM in Concord. If you lucky folks in Manchester, you can find us on 101.9 FM. And you just can't get enough. We are out on the interwebs at nhtalkradio.com. I would also like to thank our sponsor. I am deeply grateful to Lakes Region Fence for sponsoring our um, our broadcast, our show. The folks there do incredible work. I know Matt and his crew intimately. They're wonderful friends. They are busy, busy, busy. And guess what? They actually answer the phone 
and call you back. <laughs> Hear that, independent business people? Call people back. All right. In studio with me is Alex Picard, the wonderful Alex Picard. <laughs> Alex, Alex, Alex. Where do we go with this? So, you see this warped relationship as the greatest love story <laughs> ever penned. Please mind that a little bit more because they, if you've ever seen Virginia Woolf, it is a knockdown, drag out fight almost from the time people set foot on stage. Mm -hmm. And it does not stop for like three hours. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable. It is very visceral and very dark. And it is, those are probably some of the reasons a lot of people don't do it besides mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, they may have to pay royalties. Get off the Shakespeare bus, people. Mm -hmm. and, and and it's a classic. I mean, it's up there with like uh, Long Day's Journey into Night. Oh, sure, uh, yeah. And, um, oh, and some others. We'll get into those later. But again, what attracted you in particular? This was a lot of work. Yes. A lot of heavy lifting. And to say, I really want to do this. I really think this should be showcased kudos to you thank you i i mean that i mean it i'm so tired of seeing fluff i'm so tired of seeing the easy to go through kind of stuff um this was just a remarkable um piece of work to put on a set oh you probably retired after all the ticket sales right no huh? no not quite huh? <laughs> not quite you're not doing this in your like spare time now that you've retired i mean off your I yacht wish. Huh? Huh? <laughs> more people should have seen it it was that kind of a show and it was a classic, and it, it's not just a classic. You had a wonderful cast. A truly wonderful cast. I felt so bad for Emily. I know I'm ranting here, but her character was so underwritten for her mm -hmm. talent. I was sitting on the, one of the sides and watching, and she did remarkable things that you would Absolutely. not. If you weren't sitting maybe where I was, you weren't seeing her, like falling asleep in the chair. So brilliant. Right, and stealing other people's drinks. Oh, like, my God, yes. She gave Honey such a full life in that show. And yeah. I don't think there's just not a lot of actors who can do that. Mm -hmm. um, and and you, Honey is written in a certain way. And I think that what she, I think that she gave Honey spine um, and backbone and a fully developed life. Yeah. Um, and... We found such amazing moments, tiny little moments, because, you know, Martha is not kind to Honey in this show. Right. But they had moments where they connected, little, little tiny moments, you know, where they um, were there for each other as women mm -hmm. um, and, and women who had suffered loss, you know. And, and Emily is just, she's so... Uh, her work is so subtle and so nuanced and so beautiful. Um, and working with her, I mean, with all of them, so easy. You know, yes, yeah. the work was hard, but working with them was easy. They are, are they are three actors who are just willing to take risks um, and dive in. And I don't think I could have played Martha with three other people. I trusted them implicitly. And you really have to have that to do this kind of show with that kind of fighting and that kind of grappling and that kind of um, raw vulnerability and emotional life, yeah. 
you have to trust who you're out there with. You know, if you don't, you're you're done. Yeah. You know, and you'll never get to the truth if you don't. Um, so I really couldn't have asked for three better actors to do that with. And I'm so pleased with what um, Emily brought to Honey because, you know, she's she doesn't even have a name. She has a an endearment, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, and to bring a full life to that kind of character is that's that's just incomparable work, right? You know, and yeah, I mean, nobody even calls you know Nick by his name. It's just you know that handsome blonde guy, right? And 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 he was bringing a full life, and then of course Wayne was just stunning as George. You know, they were all stunning. What was the most difficult part of showcasing the the production? I. Uh, <laughs> it kind of changed as it went on. This is why I hesitate. It, it shifted as the experience went on. You know, hard at first, um, diving into really difficult material with people you don't know very well. <laughs> oh. And 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 I mean, man, we came together quickly. Um, but getting ready to just make the decision to dive in. You know, I'm just going to go and we will see what everybody does in response. And it, that, that worked out beautifully. That was a very quick problem, right? That had an easy solution. Um, uh, tricky to, you know, like, you know, I wouldn't say hard, but, you know, a little tricky to find that right costuming because, you know, there's that look that you're going for. They should look impeccable and fall apart as the night goes on. And um, there's, you know, finding things that are appropriate to the space. We had trouble finding a record player, like, you know, those kind oh, of logistic yeah. things. But nothing about putting this play on was hard. It, you had, I had the right group of people. And that made all the things that we had to do easier. I think the hardest work is what happened in that rehearsal room and on that stage in front of an audience. I mean, audiences were very viscerally and emotionally affected by this play. I've not seen that kind of audience response yeah, good. In a long time. Good. That's yeah. exactly what I think excellent they, theater should do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this should affect, you should leave thinking about it. You should be thinking about it a week from now, a month from I'm now. I'm still thinking. Know? That's why I brought you in. I, I, it it sits on you. Yes. Yeah. And it stays with you. And that's what good theater should do, right? It should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, yes. as they say. Yes. And I've always been a believer that. And I love, the, I like things that are dark. I like the darker stuff anyway. You know, I like, you know. You don't have to do anything personal here. That's yeah. fine. You can. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave that right there. Right. I'll keep the humor light, yeah, but I like the yeah. dark stuff. Um, but there's also, um, in the work of this, I mean, Act 3 is hard. Act 3 is really, really hard. It is it is vicious. Um, so, just so people know, this thing starts off hard. It comes in like a train that's off the tracks yes. to begin with. And it just gets darker and darker yeah. and more uncomfortable. Any play that starts at 2.30 in the morning isn't yes, going to end yes. well. <laughs> Good tip off, yeah. And that people have been invited over at 2.30 in the morning. Right. And, but it's very cerebral. Mm-hmm. When, when you're it's watching, smart. It's yes, thoughtful. and when you're an audience member watching, <clears throat> you are just drawn in by yep. this this conversation these two people are having, eventually four people, and it just continues to cascade downhill. Yes. So go ahead, the third act. Yeah, so it's I mean it's hard to talk about without spoiling the third act. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is a little difficult, and I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't read it or seen it because it it is a beautiful revelation. Well, shame on them. They should have had a right, chance. Right. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> um, but I will say that there is, I mean, there is, there's just a moment in Act, you know, at the end of Act, when you get to the end of Act, like we always used to joke backstage, we'd finish Act One and go, well, that was fun. Here we go. <laughs> you know, like because Act Two yeah. really kicks in, right? Um, and and the end of Act Two and into the Act Three just becomes increasingly more difficult. 
Um, I think that some of the hardest work in this play is is when you when you have to inhabit these characters over a period of time, they start to live in your head a little bit longer than you'd like them to, right? Mm. So there are parts of Martha that would hang on. And, you know, Wayne and I used to talk about there were parts of George that would hang on. And, you know, you'd make a mistake during your week in your life and you'd beat yourself up. And but why am I beating myself <laughs> up? Oh, that's probably Martha, right? Like, you're just, <laughs> like, they just sort of live in there a little bit. But there are, I think sometimes what's hardest in the theater, but what is also my favorite, is when you are confronted with truths about yourself that exist within that character. And in order to play the truth of that character, you have to deal with that truth in yourself, yeah, right? Yeah. And again, it is my favorite thing to do, and it is the hardest thing you to do. You had to go home exhausted after rehearsal. Oh, completely right? exhausted. I mean, I mean, it was emotionally, emotionally yeah, physically, yeah, 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 exactly. completely exhausted yeah. every single night yeah. from rehearsal. Like there's, a, and it, it, honestly, if you're not coming home exhausted, what are you doing? You know, she like you say that. Ex- what? <laughs> That's the nugget, folks. There it is. You, you just you should be, you know, for all the work yes. like for any play. Yes. Honestly, if you're not coming home tired, what are you doing in the space? You're yeah. not doing you're not working hard enough. You're not giving it enough. You know, you should be tired. Yeah. You know, you should be wasted at the end of it. Yeah. Um, and I was every night, every rehearsal, you know, and, and some were easier than others if you're working different kinds of material. But, you know, particular moments that are difficult. Um, well, let me ask you this. Oh, did, sure. Did it make you go to places personally that were uncomfortable or did you have to draw from some? I've been in some plays where I needed that little bit extra. I, I was never going to, it never got out into the public, but in mm-hmm. the back of my head, I was drawing off of something. Gosh darn it. <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> we're being played off. Put on your dancing <laughs> shoes, folks. Oh, my God, we're just getting started. And I need to switch topics here in a second. Uh, All right, you are listening to NH Unscripted with Ray Dudley, your host, Alex Picard, the rich and effervescent <laughs> guest is with me. Oh, gosh. We are on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. 101.9 in Manchester and out on the internet at nhtalkradio.com. Go there. We'll be back. Well, 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 my day has been made. Alex Picard is joining NH Unscripted with your host, Ray Dudley. Once again, we are coming to you from the studios at WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. And the lucky listeners in Manchester can find us on 101.9 FM. And we stream live during the day. And you can find all of our other episodes archived at nhtalkradio.com. Alex and I have been engaged in some wonderful and energizing discussions. And I have to turn the corner because I have something else I need to talk to her about. Alex also does audiobook narration. She's a voice actor. Alex, can you tell me, because I, I, I'm deeply interested in the topic and for a couple of reasons. One is, not I don't know many other people who do it. Mm-hmm. I... B- through my research, understand how difficult it can be to start, mm-hmm. 
although there are people who think it's very easy there to start. <laughs> um, so please, please, please tell me how you got started, why you got started, and we'll peel back the layers after that. Sure. Um, so I have a good friend, uh, Peter Burkrott, who has over 500 titles under his belt. He's an audiobook narrator. What? Um, and Peter cast me in my first show when I got out of grad school in Boston. Um, so we've known each other for a very long time. And so, you know, I was, I, I always keep an eye on what Peter's up to and what he's doing and, you know, and all that sort of thing. And, and I knew that I was reaching the end of my teaching career. I was um, feeling that pull to do something else and, uh, and to, you know, learn and grow and change because that's my favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw online one day that Peter was taking, uh, was taking clients for coaching for audiobook narration. So I called him and I was like, what do you, what's that all about? And what do you think? And he goes, you should really do this. And I said, okay. So I booked um, a couple of hours of coaching with him and he just kind of gave me the down and dirty of what you really need to do, what it's really about, how it really works. Um, we worked together on um, some narration samples, um, which means you're putting up, you know, material like a minute and a half to two minutes of part of a book. Right. And you put up a bunch of different samples. So I've like, you know, on my website, I've got one that's thriller and one for YA and one for, you know, you know, romance or literary fiction or what have you, you know, whatever you're looking to work in. You put up your samples and then you start reaching out and it's hustling for work like you hustle for work in the arts in any other way. Right. So, you know, you're an out of work actor. You're always looking for the next audition. That is what I'm doing. I'm always looking for the next audition for the next book. Um, reaching out, letting people know that I'm available. This is what my skill set is. This is who I am as a human being. Um, the thing that I love about the casting for audiobooks, especially now, is that there is this real push to, to, to cast authentic voices, right? So, you know, if you go to my website, I, I have this whole section of like what might seem like silly stuff, but like is stuff that makes me me, right? You know, I, I you know, I say I, you know, I ran a marathon once and I um, am a terrible cook and I am an accidental gardener because things are growing and I have no idea why and how, um, you know, that I uh, have a fear of paper cuts that I, you know, like just all this stuff that seems really random, right? Um, that I have Portuguese heritage, that I, um, you know, have kids, that I have a husband who flies an airplane that I'm married to the real Captain Picard, like tidbits that are fun to know about me. Fascinating. Um, but I... The, the interesting thing about that is that, you know, one day a producer is going to look at that and go, oh, I've got this book about running. You know who ran a marathon? Alex did. I bet she could narrate this book. Right. Or the first book I ever got had Portuguese in it because I told somebody I had Portuguese heritage and was familiar with the language. And so the very first book I ever narrated, um, Sevastopol, which is a collection of, of short stories, um, is a, a based in you know Portuguese stories you know and and so so that was a connection to me and and they do that like all narrators are doing this right telling you who we are as human beings what rich experience we have what we've been through in our lives that will bring us closer to the truth of that author's story because the closer that narrator is to the truth of that author the more authentic that story is mm-hmm. and the better we can bring it to life another tidbit oh mm-hmm. Alex while you're here <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> excuse me I worked with Peter. I and I. I was very lucky too. I um. I was able to um, get involved in this. Uh, they don't call it speed dating anymore. They call it uh, 
well, I can't remember what they call it now, but it was basically like an opportunity, three minutes um, on Zoom with a bunch of producers um, that you have to apply to be in. You, it's a lottery to be selected, so you could be you could be in the lottery for years and not get selected. And I just happened to get selected, and I had three minutes to pitch me as a human being. Okay, I, this is the first time I've ever heard about this. Yep, to to these producers and these um, publishers. Um, and that was it. It was the fastest three minutes of my life. And and you don't read for them. You just tell them who you are and what you are capable of. These are the accents I can do. This is the material I'm interested in. This is who I am as a human being. This is my personality. Um, and I got my first book from that. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Head exploding. Excuse me. Alex, 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 where do I, where do I begin? Um, so, we got to go back. We have to back up. You had an audition on Zoom. You weren't like standing in your shower with uh, a microphone trying nope. to do audition tapes no, and send them Zoom. out. You weren't on the public library out there and Mm-mm. and reading books and, and people found you. No. Well, and also like... It, this makes it sound like it's so easy. It's so... This yeah, is hard. I know. The, hard, I know. The, com- the competition is intense. The work is hard. Um, sitting in in the life of multiple characters at once, so hard. Um, there's so much about this work that is difficult. Um, that opportunity came through the um, Audiobook Publishers Association, of which I am a member. Um, and I got that opportunity because I was a member and I signed up to just be in a lottery. The luck came in where I got selected um, right when I was getting started. You had no experience before this. I had zero experience before this. You win the lottery. But here, here's the thing. I had zero experience narrating a book. I had tons of experience acting and telling stories and telling them honestly. That is where I got my leg up. That's another where. Jam another gem. These right, are like, things, you can't, yes. like coming at that. If I hadn't had no experience acting, this would be we'd be having a very different conversation. I'm telling you, I've been out on YouTube and and looked at some of these videos, mm-hmm. watched them, I should say, about you know how to get in and what it takes, right. and do you have to have acting experience? And no, you don't. And then I've listened to some of their books. Exactly. I could have driven now, a pencil through my eyes. Right, right. And then that's, I mean, that's the way. And it's like not every narrator is for everybody. Everybody's got somebody that they love to listen to, right? But I also have friends that had no acting experience and came into this and are phenomenal narrators. Do you know what I mean? Like it's about right, are you up. capable of learning? Are you capable of growing? And are you willing to take a class? Right? Like yeah. this is this is professional development, man. You know, you really got to get in there and say, you know, even I, I took a class, a 14-week class um, with a really wonderful narrator named Joel Frumkin called Acting for Audiobooks. Now, arguably, I know how to act, right? I have an MFA. I studied. I s- continue to study. I work at it. But I knew, I knew in my mind that I was not using everything that I knew about myself as an actor in audiobooks. I was not translating that to its highest potential. And when working with Joel in that class, that's... 14 now I'm weeks. Like, okay. You took a 14-week yeah, we audiobook week. acting class. Yes, and I learned a ton. And I think that's it. you got to be... You can't assume you know it all. You've got to be open to learn always. But I've been always been a teacher, so I'm... Teachers are the best students, right? We ask the most questions in the classroom. But so, the humility it takes to do that, in your case. Dude, come on. Well, you know, I come on. That, but <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we can drop the humility There's here. There's always but, something to but learn. I know, I know. Thank you for doing that. I mean, again, if you go out into the 
the, the dumpster that YouTube is mm. and you look up audiobook narration, I'm telling you, there are people who say you can do it in your closet with a handheld microphone and, and no experience whatsoever. Yeah. And, and, and not really telling people, you have to understand this is a profession. There are people, these are books that people are going to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's a business. It is. And it's, you know, in honesty, a lot of narrators get their start in a closet. I did. You know, I took my mother-in-law's quilts and I hung now them up I have the to retract and, another statement no, that no, I made. But I think too, like that, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. But like, here's the thing: that that was a really hard space to work in. I had to stop every time my family moved around or I needed to do something in the house. The you know, guys but, cutting the lawn out back. Don't flush the toilet. I got to record. Like it was just, you know, it was hard. Um, and and then I now I have a studio. My husband built me a studio. And and the thing about that is you can't you can't get work. You can get work on maybe um, on an ACX. There's you know lots of great yeah. work to be found there, um, and, and maybe find a way you know places like that. If you want to work with publishers, you have to have a well treated space. There's specs that you have to hit. Your space has to be able to hit those specs for that book to be loaded up and sent out into the world for people to listen to. I now have a really well treated space, you know, oh, and 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 a you know a place where I can record that is is gonna. Put me at my best. Okay. Hang on to that thought. We are going to geek out in just a second. <laughs> so I want to know about your accoutrements. <laughs> you are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. Alex Picard has graciously accepted the invitation to come in today, <laughs> and we are going home richer for it. You can find us on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. 101.9 in Manchester, and yeah, we're streaming on the internet at the nhtalkradio.com. We shall return. Welcome back. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. We are streaming from the Studios at WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM. Those are in Concord. 101.9 FM in Manchester. We stream live, and you can find the archives at nhtalkradio.com. And before I forget, I want to thank once again the sponsor of this show, Lakes Region Fence. Matt and his group up there do excellent work. They're very good friends of mine. I know them all, and they are busy. Busy, you know why? Because, yeah. They answer their phones. Huh. Go figure. <laughs> Alex Picard has a treasure trove of information, <laughs> willing to share it and spill her guts today. And I am just bathing in it. Alex, I want to geek out, if you don't mind, sure. about bo- audiobook narration. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your studio, what you have sure. for equipment. Um, and and then I have a couple of other questions about how far you've gone, what's going on, and all that. Absolutely. Um, so I have my studio is home built. Okay. Um, you can order studios. Um, you know, Whisper Room or um, now I can't remember the name of the other one, but you know, there's places you can order a VO booth. Um, but mine is home built. My husband um was home for a stretch of time during the pandemic because there weren't a lot of flights. Um, because he's a corporate pilot, so there weren't a ton of flights. Uh, for that company. So, you know, we we talked a lot with a uh, sound engineer friend, um, you know, about 
you know, we did a lot of research, uh, you know, what, what kind of things we needed. My studio is a room within a room. It's a box in a box, right? So it's in my basement. <clears throat> Excuse me. It sits on rubber. Uh, the two by fours that make up the floor sit on rubber, so they're not sitting on cement. Um, then, you know, there's a, it, it does so it doesn't truly touch the ground and it doesn't truly touch the ceiling. Um, so it just kind of sits. And then there is a you know there's double walls. So then you have you know and there's insulation in between those walls. Um, so there's actually two doors to get into my studio: the first door and the second door to like get through those two walls, right? So and then. Um, and then within the studio itself, um, there's just a lot of foam, right? Um, you know, I've got base traps in the corners um, and just tons of foam, especially around like where I speak. There's sort of a double layer of it right around like where my where I face when I'm reading and around the sides of me. There's on the ceiling as well to catch, you know, reverberation of sound, all that sort of thing. Um, I have an Apollo twin IO interface. Um, I have a Vanguard V4 microphone. That's my second mic. Um, I didn't you care. You have a Sennheiser? Don't think a lot of people use Sennheisers? Uh, they, like what you really need is any kind of uh, cardioid mic, right? An open condenser, um, you know, uh, that kind of mic um, for, for that kind of voiceover work. Um, so really it's about finding the mic that suits your voice because not every mic does mm-hmm. um, and some treat your voice differently. Um so the one I had before was more of more of a mic for a podcast. It was um, the and it had a cloud lifter to kind of you know, but it wasn't it wasn't doing me any favors. Um, so I went shopping for another one, and I worked with an engineer, um, and and I found the Vanguard, and I liked it. I liked the way it sounded on me. I liked what it did for my voice, um, and it's easy to work with. Um, so that's the one I'm using now. Um, a lot of people were use a. Oh, now you know. Never can remember the names of the things when I need them in my brain. <laughs> um, but I mean, you can't. You can find a very quality, you know, quality mic on Amazon if you need to. I get all my stuff from Sweetwater. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you edit your own. I do not. You do not. I do not. You send that off. No, I send that off. All the files. I do. Um, and here's why. Um, I narrators are paid per finished hour, right? So if I narrate an eight-hour book, I get eight hours of pay. That does not count, or it includes, the time I spent prepping that book, the time I spent doing any research on that book, the time it took to record that book. Let's say it's an eight-hour book. you got about a two-to-one ratio, sometimes three-to-one if there's lots of accents and that sort of thing. 16 to 20 hours for an eight-hour book, right? So if I only get paid per finished hour, I do not want to be spending my time editing and mastering that book. Um if I am working with an independent author, I have an engineer who's a buddy of mine. He gets all my books if I'm working with an indie author, right? I send him files. He edits. He masters. He proofs. Really? Yep. He sends it back to me. I send him the corrections. He puts it all together. He sends me the finished files. I give them to the author. And I make sure that I include in my hourly pay that per finished hour cost his pay. So I pay him out of that audiobook, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. Um, the more time I'm behind the mic, the more effectively I'm being paid for the work that I do. So it is smart business-wise for me to job that out um, because it's less time. I'm in, I could be moving on to the next book yeah. while he's editing and mastering my last book, if that makes sense. Yeah. When I work with producers and publishers, they handle all of the post, all of it. They don't want narrators handling post for they any don't. of that. No, 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 no. So- Wait, so are you saying independent people want you to do it, but not the yes. the big guys? Yep. 
Oh. Yep. So if I'm working with um, Penguin Random House or Harper or Tantor or, you know, any of those producers um, or publishers, I am given, if they send me a book, I'm given a, a date where they need the raw files. I send them chapter by chapter, my raw files. Sometimes they want to chase you, right? Like, so sometimes I'll just send them as I'm recording, like, here's my daily files for today. Um, other times they just give you a due date and I just make sure all my files are in by that date. Once they're in, they take care of the rest. They'll send me any corrections they need made. They're called pickups um, or corrections or repairs sometimes. Um, so if I messed up in the reading and I didn't catch it, then they'll send that back to me. I send them a file full of corrections. Their engineer inputs all those corrections, masters the whole thing, and sends it out into the world. So I don't do any of that when I'm working. And I most of my work is with publishers and producers. Um, I do work with a handful of indie authors whom I love um, and and when I work with them I make sure I'm jobbing it out still because I can more effectively use my time in front of the mic so what how, how do I phrase this without intruding is it a lucrative business or is it that's comfortable tricky. That's I trickier. know I know I'm trying it's trickier to... because um, do I think that audiobook narrators get paid what they are worth for the kind of work they're doing no Okay. Um, there's a lot of people in the industry, including producers and publishers, that believe that as well. You know, um, audiobooks are making money, man. Their the growth is double digits for the last 10 years. You know, uh, they are. Unbelievable. They are in. People are listening, you know. Um, and should we all be paid better? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, is it, am I contributing enough to my family to keep us where we want to be? Yeah. Hmm. You know, but again, it's freelance work. It is still right. freelance work. I right. am, I, it's feast or famine. You know, I had an April where I could barely breathe. I had so much I had to get done. Plus I was in rehearsals for Virginia Woolf. I had deadlines upon deadlines and I was smooshing stuff into April. February, different story. Yeah. You know, but in February I recognized I didn't have as much work in February. So I changed my website. I did new samples. I, you know, I did something to make my business move forward, you know. Um, and I think that as long as you're using your time wisely and you are trying to move your business forward every, you know, every time, you know, wake up in the morning, you know, then then you're going to be OK. But it's it's feast or famine, just like acting work man, is just oh, like it is for, you know, musicians. You know? Yeah. Do you. So do you have to go find the work yes. or are they finding you? Or, a or little is it, bit of both. Yeah. A little bit of both, I will say. You know, I do, yeah, all audiobook narrators are hustling for work, right? Um, I do regular reach outs to publishers and producers to let them know of my availability or maybe, you know, I might send them an email saying, hey, I just released this book with, you know, um, I just had a release of a book with um, with Harper called Run Baby Run. Really lovely book. I worked with two other narrators on and were absolutely lovely. Um, and, you know, I, so I might send out, hey, I just finished this book with Harper. Here's the new thing I'm working on. You can find my samples here. I have availability in July. You know, and, and you'll very rarely hear back from them. You know, you're just reaching out to let them know you exist. Hmm. You know, and, and, and then one day you get that email that says, hey, we heard, of, you know, for Run Baby Run, for example, I got an email on a Friday morning um, from John Marshall Media, who produced the book for Harper. Um, and it said, hey, we have this book for you. It was a straight offer. You know, um, we'd love you to read the part of Chloe in this book. Um, here's when we need the files by. Are you interested or available? I said yes immediately because yes, I'm a, <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> um, and, um, and I got that gig because another producer on another book I had worked on mentioned me to her friend at Harper. Oh. 
Do you know what I mean? So like you're you're every time you work, you're getting your next book, you know? So sometimes it's word of mouth. Sometimes it's direct audition. Um, and sometimes sometimes you'll get a straight offer, you know? Every once in a while, they'll just be like, hey, can you take this book? Do you have availability? Are you interested? Right? Mm. So it depends on the book. It depends on the producer. It depends on the publisher. It depends on a lot of things. My mind is exploding. <laughs> <laughs> there are, I have read that there are several ways to get paid. You mm-hmm. know, I don't need to know what you make, but mm-hmm. um, is it true you can get paid either per finished hour or you can take a flat fee or you can get royalties? Yes. Yeah. Those things are all true. So so um, I mostly work per finished hour. Um, and in my opinion, that's the best uh, bang for my buck in terms of my effort on my work. Um, you can and this I would say this mostly happens with independent authors or on a website like ACX with Amazon or that sort of thing. Um, you can choose to take on a book that is royalty share, which means that as that audiobook makes, you, you get no money up front. After that book has been made, after you've recorded it and edited it and mastered it and given it to the author and you've agreed that it's ready to go and you put it out there in the world, that um, the, the money that comes in for that book is split between you and the author. Mm-hmm. The author makes some of it, you make some of it. If that book does super well, you're making a bunch of money. Yeah, so if it's Harry Potter, you're it, in. You're making a ton of money. Yeah. Harry Potter was not royalty share. <laughs> um, but if you, if that book doesn't do well, yeah, you just did a lot of work for very, very little payback, mm. right? So you've got to invest in the right projects when it comes to royalty share. There's also something called royalty share plus, which means maybe that um, author gives you a little bit up front and then the rest is royalty share. And then per finished hour is the other way you get paid. I am stomping my feet like a spoiled four-year-old. Do you hear the music in the background? <laughs> that's, that's, oh! Alex, give me some information. Where can sure. people find your work? Oh, you can uh, you can search me on anywhere you find your audiobooks. Libro FM, Audible, just search Alex Picard. I will pop up and everything I've narrated will pop up. I have a website, alexpicard.com. Um, and uh, you can find me there. I'm also on TikTok and Instagram and um, and Twitter at um, It Sounds Like Alex. And we are richer for Alex <laughs> being here today. I am Ray Dudley, your host of NH Unscripted. You are finding us on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester. And you can find us as well at NHTalkRadio.com. Have a great day.